Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, folks. Happy New Year. Now let's hope that 2024, this is me willing it into existence. That this year, that this 2024, 2024, is the best year yet for each and every one of you. Now let's get down to business. On this episode, we're taking a deep dive into the fascinating tales tucked away at the Gilcrest Museum. Then we'll be transported to the intriguing world of the Tulsa Little Theater, where drama is always on stage. And finally, we're going to venture out to the mystical Beaver Dunes Park and see what secrets it holds. So sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride through America's heartland. Oklahoma. I imagine the people in Oklahoma doing that all day. I know I would. Oh, do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the folklore and ghost stories that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Sitting on a sprawling 460-acre plot of land in the serene expanse of northwest Tulsa, the illustrious Gilchrist Museum stands a testament to the enduring legacy of Native American and Western art and artifacts. Revered as one of the world's most extensive and renowned collections, this cultural treasure trove is not without its curious inhabitants. 
several resident ghosts are said to roam its hollowed halls. Originally belonging to the oil tycoon, art connoisseur, and philanthropist William Thomas Gilchrist, this opulent estate was bequeathed to the public following his demise in 1962. Born on February 8, 1890, in the quaint town of Robline, Louisiana, William Thomas Gilchrist was the son of William Lee and Mary Elizabeth Gilchrist, or as their maiden name was, Mary Elizabeth Vowell. His mother, tracing her ancestry back to the Creek Indian tribe, relocated the family to Indian territory shortly after his birth, where they settled on Creek Nation tribal lands. Growing up in a log home near Eufaula, his father's cotton gin in the nearby community of Mounds provided a humble livelihood. However, it was under the tutelage of Creek poet Alex Posey, an quaint one-room schoolhouse that young Thomas received an education that would ignite his imagination for a lifetime. At the dawn of the 20th century, the federal government dissolved the Indian nation's land and distributed 160-acre parcels into private ownership. At just nine years old, Thomas, with his one-eighth Creek heritage, received his own piece of land located approximately 20 miles southwest of Tulsa. Initially resembling a desolate expanse of dry, dusty terrain in the Osage Hills, fate intervened in 1905 when oil drillers struck black gold in the area. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jude. His land fortuitously straddled the vast Glenpool Reserve. Thomas quickly amassed a fortune and became a multimillionaire by the tender age of 20. Although he faced initial struggles, his astute business acumen propelled him into the upper echelons of the cutthroat world of oil tycoons. On August 22, 1908, Thomas married Belle Harlow, a member of the esteemed Osage tribe. Together, they welcomed two sons into the world, Thomas Jr. in 1909 and Barton Eugene in 1911. In 1913, with his growing family in mind, Thomas stumbled upon a charming stone house northwest of the bustling city of Tulsa. Owned by Tulsa lawyer Flowers Nelson and his wife Carrie, who had acquired the property in 1909, this native sandstone abode perched atop a hill offered a panoramic vista of the thriving town. Enamored by the stone house's allure and its expansive wraparound porch, Thomas wasted no time in making an offer. On December 26th, 1913, his proposal was accepted, and along with approximately 80 acres of land, the house became affectionately known as Tom's Place and the little stone house on the hill. The property also featured a garage and a barn, completing its rustic charm. Following the acquisition of his new home, Thomas embarked on extensive travels, particularly to Europe. Inspired by the historical museums he encountered during his journeys, he vowed to create his own collection. In 1922, a momentous year in his life, Thomas officially founded the Gilcrest Oil Company to manage his vast holdings. However, amidst these triumphs, he faced personal turmoil as his 14-year marriage ended in divorce. In February of 1924, Thomas entered into an agreement with W.O. Ligon and his wife to sell 13 acres of his land. Under a contract for deed, 
Thomas allowed them to reside in the rock house while he ventured abroad. Unfortunately, the Liguns defaulted on their payment, resulting in the land reverting back to Thomas in 1928. During his travels, Thomas enlisted the services of Cheap Sapohas Stout in 1927 to renovate and modernize the rock house property. A year later, he found love once again and married Norma Smallwood on September 3, 1928. Norma, crowned Miss America in 1926, was a mere 19 years old at the time. Although their union brought forth a daughter named Des in 1929, it was not destined to endure and they divorced on October 3, 1933. Expanding his horizons, Thomas established his company headquarters in San Antonio, Texas in 1937, while maintaining another office in Europe. Back when Thomas established the Gilcrest Oil Company, he also establishes his love for another thing oil, oil paintings. And as his art collection continued to grow, with a particular emphasis on Native American works and artifacts from the American West, Thomas sought out individual pieces as well as substantial collections from dealers and fellow collectors when few others displayed interest. In 1941, Thomas instructed Chief Stout, the talented architect responsible for remodeling and updating the stone house, to convert the barn and garage into storehouses for his burgeoning collection. Once again, the barn became known as his gallery, and the garage transformed into his library. In 1943, Thomas opened the Museum of the American Indian in San Antonio. During this period, his stone house lay vacant, prompting him to repurpose it as a haven for orphaned Indian children. The second floor underwent renovations to accommodate additional rooms for girls, and a separate structure was erected for the boys. The garage served as the technical training center for these young wards. Throughout this time, Thomas wholeheartedly supported various Oklahoma Indian artists, such as Crumbo, Ace Blue Eagle, and Willard Stone, acquiring their creations for his collection. In 1946, he received a tremendous honor from the Suez Nation, as tribal members bestowed upon him the title of honorary tribal member and gave him the name, oh boy, Wikarpi Wakatuya, I think meaning High Star. Undeterred by the relative lack of interest in Native American art or American West artifacts, Thomas continued his quest to expand his collection. In 1947, he made a shrewd acquisition, purchasing the entire collection of Dr. Philip Gillett Cole, a dedicated art collector from New York. The sum paid at the time for this remarkable collection would pale in comparison to its current value. Upon delivery to Tulsa, 63 boxes and 11 crates revealed their treasures. 27 bronzes and 46 paintings by Charles Russell. 17 bronzes and 12 paintings by Frederick Remington. And a plethora of documents and correspondence from prominent figures in the American West. Eager to showcase his ever-growing collection, Thomas commissioned architect Alexander Hugh to design a museum on his property. In 1949, he returned to Tulsa with his oil company and inaugurated the Thomas Gilchrist Institute of American History and Art within his sprawling estate. Thomas continued residing in the Stone House, 
surrounded by a garden adorned with plants cherished by Native Americans. Throughout the early 1950s, Thomas persisted in acquiring art, artifacts, and documents. However, as oil prices began to decline during this period, financing significant purchases became increasingly arduous. As debt continued to accumulate, Thomas offered to sell his entire collection to keep it intact. Fearing the potential departure of the beloved Gilcrest Museum from Tulsa, a small group of citizens organized a bond election in 1954. The following year, Tulsans overwhelmingly approved a bond issue that alleviated Thomas's outstanding debts. In return, Thomas deeded his cherished collection to the city of Tulsa and pledged revenue from his oil properties to aid in maintaining the museum until the $2.25 million bond was repaid. In 1958, the Gilcrest Foundation transferred ownership of the museum buildings and grounds to the city of Tulsa. Undeterred by this transfer, Thomas continued to fund archaeological excavations and acquire additional material for his collection. Tragically, in 1962, he succumbed to a heart attack. His funeral service incorporated traditional Indian rituals, and his remains were laid to rest in a mausoleum on his estate, alongside his beloved art and artifacts. Throughout his lifetime, Thomas amassed over 10,000 artworks, 250,000 Native American artifacts, and 100,000 rare books and documents, including the sole surviving certified copy of the Declaration of Independence. Today, the Gilcrest Museum stands as a testament to Thomas's enduring passion for his collection. Managed by Tulsa University, but still owned by the city, this cultural gem boasts the world's largest and most comprehensive collection of fine art, artifacts, and archives that chronicle the captivating narrative of the American West. Moreover, the expansive grounds encompass 23 acres of thematic gardens that showcase gardening styles from different eras in American history. Visitors can partake in free guided tours of the museum, peruse the gift shop for mementos, and savor delectable cuisine at the elegant Osage restaurant. Yet, even in death, Thomas Gilchrist's love for his collection permeates from the fabric of his beloved estate. Numerous accounts speak of his spectral presence meandering throughout the grounds he adorned during his earthly existence. Often seen wandering in the gardens, his cherished haven in life, this philanthropist ghost occasionally graces his former home. Now housing art education classes conducted by the museum education department, it has become a site where Thomas's spirit is frequently spotted by vigilant security guards, contributing to a high turnover rate among them. Adding to the ethereal ambience are reports of ghostly children who frolic on these historic grounds. Paranormal investigators have captured electronic voice recordings of a woman singing, the echoes of men engaged in heated arguments, and mysterious whispers that defy explanation. Staff and guests alike have recounted their inexplicable occurrences, such as resounding bangs emanating from the museum's second floor, drastic temperature fluctuations, doors slamming shut on their own accord, unexplained technical malfunctions, and objects mysteriously vanishing, only to reappear in peculiar locations. It is believed that up to seven distinct spirits still linger on the property, their presence benign and driven slowly by their fondness of this extraordinary place. Thus, 
As it stands today, the Gilcrest Museum stands as a testament not only to the captivating history it houses, but also to the enduring spirit of its visionary founder, William Thomas Gilchrist. Hey, folks. Real quick, just wanted to stop and wish everybody a very happy new year. A Merry Christmas, a happy holiday, you know, all that fun stuff that comes within the season. We are here now in 2024, and I just want to thank everybody for sticking with me for as long, you know, for as long as I've been on, which is wild to me that I started this podcast in 2020 and four years later, well, it's not quite four years yet, it'll be four years more toward the end of the year, because I started in August of 2020. Well, no, I launched the show in August of 2020, but I didn't put out my first episode, I don't think, until like October of 2020. It was like right before Halloween or the end of September. Something like that. Just wild to think that going on four years. Four years total, two years really, really serious. And I couldn't have gotten serious without each and every one of you for reaching out to me and just, just enjoying the show. So uh, anyway, yep, thanks. If you're so inclined to send me an email, please do so. Leave a review, uh, leave a comment, leave a rating, share. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your brother, tell your sister, tell your uncle, tell your cousin. Tell everybody. Know what I mean? Alrighty, folks. Let's keep going with Oklahoma. Later. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history. Unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Resting in an unassuming brick building at the intersection of 15th and Delaware Streets in Tulsa, Oklahoma, lies a hidden gem that not only exudes a rich history, but also harbors whispers of an otherworldly presence. Welcome to the Little Tulsa Theater, a sanctuary of artistic expression and an abode for otherworldly guests. Constructed in 1932 by the esteemed Tulsa Little Theater Group, this architectural marvel boasts a modest Art Nouveau design 
that belies the grandeur of the performances it had housed within its walls. The inaugural show to grace this hallowed stage was none other than the enchanting Cradle Song, igniting a flame of creativity and setting the tone for decades of theatrical brilliance. In its early years, the little theater troupe roamed without a fixed abode, fearlessly embracing the saying, the show must go on, in any space that they could secure. Canvas tents, movie theaters, and even the American Legion all hosted their captivating productions until destiny one day smiled upon them. Finally, a permanent sanctuary materialized at the intersection of 15th and Delaware, offering relief and a sense of belonging to this troupe of passionate performers. In those early days, their workshop thrived in the storage room of Palace Clothiers, a location that would later transform into the illustrious Ritz Theater. By 1925, the Little Theater Group had burgeoned itself to encompass over 300 members. Their talent radiating from the Alhambra Theater at 15th and Peoria. It wasn't until 1929 that the Little Theater found its home on Delaware Street, where East Lynn became the inaugural production to grace their newly acquired space a tent that held their dreams and aspirations. Undeterred by the tumultuous embrace of the Great Depression, the Tulsa Little Theater persisted, illuminating the Tulsa's arts and entertainment scene throughout the 1930s and 40s. Renowned as the Delaware Playhouse, this esteemed venue became the nucleus of artistic expression, witnessing countless performances and captivating events. With passing years, directors came and went, Actors graced the stage and exited, leaving behind an indelible mark on the theater's illustrious tapestry. In 1965, tragedy struck as a fierce fire ravaged the theater after the third performance of The Women. Stage props, furniture, and costumes succumbed to the flame's wrath, threatening to extinguish the very existence of this cultural haven. Yet, resilient as ever, the theater rose from the ashes only to face another blaze a year later during the production of South Pacific. Though the inferno devoured much of the upper floors, the indomitable spirit of the Tulsa Theater persevered. In 1974, a name change signaled a new era as the troupe evolved into Theater Tulsa Incorporated, yet their roots remained firmly planted within the Art Nouveau walls of their beloved edifice. However, in 1989, their gross necessitated a relocation to the Tulsa Performing Arts Center, where they continued to grace audiences with their impassioned performances. The old theater building stood forsaken for two long years until it found new custodians. Over the next decade, its aging structure passed through numerous hands, transforming into a church, a nightclub, and even a recording studio. By 2004, neglect had taken its toll leaving the once-majestic 10,000-square-foot building in a state of disrepair, a sad relic yearning for restoration. Enter attorney Bryce A. Hill and his wife, Sunshine, seekers of a midtown location for their law office. The dilapidated theater building near the historic Cherry Street District captured their imagination despite its desolate state. Resolute in their vision, they embarked on a transformative journey that would resurrect this decaying monument to its former glory. 
The hills breathed life into the forgotten structure for 14 painful months, painstakingly restoring its original 1932 facade and rejuvenating the front portion as functional office space. The scent of decay dissipated. Trash vanished, and water no longer seeped from the walls, floors, and ceilings. The theater's architectural grandeur was revived, breathing new life into its time-worn bones. Yet, amidst this renaissance, the old theater still clung to the vestiges of its mysterious past. Whispers circulated among those privileged enough to tread its storied boards. Tales of spectral beings that have made this sanctuary their eternal haunt. Near the heavy curtains that once framed countless performances, witnesses have spotted a strange ball of light dancing with ethereal grace. Others caught in the spotlight's glow have glimpsed elusive figures standing silently behind them before vanishing without a trace. Some even speak of phantom touches, as if unseen hands caress their very souls, and eerie noises reverberate through the backstage when solitude should prevail. Legend intertwines with reality as stories emerge from a former play director who met his final curtain call during the theater's heyday. Could these ethereal manifestations be his unfinished productions demanding completion? And there were whispers of another presence, a spectral little girl whose essence lingers within the theater's hallowed confines. Even law office employees that now call the historic building home recount strange occurrences, supplies mysteriously vanishing, lights flickering on and off with a will of their own. The Tulsa Little Theater stands as a testament to resilience, embodying both the vibrancy of human expression and the mysterious allure of the supernatural. A convergence of history and mystique, it invites all who enter to bear witness to its timeless tales and to catch a glimpse of those ethereal guests who forever grace its stage. Have you ever ventured into a place that just exudes an eerie aura? I know I have. Perhaps it was an obscure alley in a busy city. A quiet cul-de-sac nestled deep in the suburbs. Or a desolate trail weaving through a secluded forest. These strange locations are scattered across the world, concealed to the untrained eye. Some even harbor strange tales, legends of strange occurrences that instill a sense of caution before you step foot into these realms. If you venture deep into the Oklahoma panhandle, past the quaint town of Beaver, you'll stumble upon one of these hidden gems. But good luck finding it without a map. This state's boundaries are like a complex puzzle. Think Florida's panhandle, but with more cowboys and fewer beaches. But don't let its serene appearance fool you. This stretch of land has seen some wild times. From Native American tribes to Spanish explorers like Francisco Vesquez de Coronado. I think I did a pretty good job with that. And even this little thing called the Dust Bowl. With such a storied past, it comes as no surprise that this region has birthed its fair share of strange anecdotes. However, what may truly astound you is the existence of a region within Oklahoma's panhandle adorned with a vast expanse of sand dunes. Yeah, you heard correctly. 
Oklahoma has its very own sand dunes. Defying conventional expectations, these remarkable formations can be found in Beaver Dunes Park, located just north of the town itself. Nestled within the confines of the Beaver Dunes Park lies a small lake aptly named Beaver Lake. But don't be fooled by its serene name, because this town is all about beavers. From the Beaver River that runs through it, to the local school with their proud beaver mascot, Go Beavers. And even the county itself. Everything here is dedicated to these industrious creatures. And if that's not quirky enough for you, just wait until you hear about the world cow chip throwing competition held every April. Now, if you're like me, you're asking, what the hell's a cow chip? Oh, you damn well know what the hell a cow chip is. But you're going to make me say it, aren't you? It's poop. Dry cow poop. That's right. Flinging dried cow poop is a legitimate sporting beaver. In fact, a man named Robert Devers holds the record in beaver. Hey, that rhymes. He hurled a heap over 185 feet. I swear to God, I'm not doing this on purpose. And he set a world record back in 2001. That is insane. I mean, the luxury of growing up in the city, I guess. I never had to throw cow poop to uh, pass the time. Anyway, the town of Beaver is home to a mere 1,500 individuals. And its close proximity to Beaver Dunes Park ensures that many locals and visitors alike choose to rent dune buggies for an adrenaline-fueled escapade across the sprawling 520-acre park. The allure of sand dunes, coupled with the thrill of gas-powered exploration, draws countless adventurers to this picturesque landscape. Additionally, the park offers opportunities for fishing, hiking along its scenic trails, and engaging in recreational activities at the well-appointed playground and its two campgrounds. On the surface, Beaver appears to be an idyllic destination, for an exhilarating getaway. Yet beneath this veneer of excitement lies a disconcerting truth. Individuals had ventured into these dunes only to vanish without a trace. And this phenomenon is not a recent development either. Tales of inexplicable disappearances have permeated the annals of history, stretching back centuries, potentially as far as the 1500s. This region is not merely known as Beaver Dunes Park. It has earned an array of ominous monikers. No Man's Land, the Oklahoma Bermuda Triangle, and the Shaman's Portal. Legends surrounding this place extend back to none other than the Spanish conquistador, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado. See, I brought his name up for a reason. And his fateful encounter with the Shaman's Portal. As the story goes, Coronado and his intrepid band of conquistadors traversed the Oklahoma Panhandle in 1541. During their journey, they stumbled upon the sand dunes and embarked on a voyage of exploration. Now the story goes that three of Coronado's men vanished amidst the shifting sands. That their ill-fated pursuit of an ethereal green light dancing in the distance is what led them to their untimely demise, each disintegrating into thin air in a flash of luminous emerald. 
Rumor has it that this chilling account is documented within Coronado's journal, though exhaustive searches has yet to unearth the concrete evidence. But they say Coronado's journal is the key to unlock the legend of the shaman's portal. Naturally, when confronted with such tales, we must exercise caution when engaging with our old acquaintance. Legend has it. This fella often presents unverifiable and potentially exaggerated narratives. However, it remains intriguing to explore the whispers propagated by Mr. Legend Hazard himself. According to this figure, the dunes serve as an ancient Indian burial ground, a foreboding site that Native Americans, though the specific tribes remain unidentified, there goes Mr. Legend Hazard again, warned Coronado to avoid. Furthermore, legend has it suggests that the dunes harbor remnants of extraterrestrial visitations, serving as a crash site for otherworldly vessels and an unwitting prison for stranded beings from distant realms. The mechanics behind such entrapment remain shrouded in mystery. This is simply legend has it at work. An equally elusive relative of legend has it, known as it is said, asserts that the United States military has been spotted excavating within the dune confines. Both these kinfolk share a distant cousin, they say. And so, they say that the military recovered a spacecraft from this region and resorted to employing their infamous men in black tactics, erasing the memories of those who probe too deep. Moreover, they say that the sand dunes are plagued by an ancient curse, haunted by spooky apparitions. To fully capture the strange and mysterious essence of Beaver Dunes Park, one must take into account its rumored characteristics. An ancient Native American burial ground, a hot spot for paranormal activity, a possible landing site for aliens, a home to otherworldly creatures, a place plagued by unknown forces, closely watched by the military, and shrouded by the presence of the elusive Men in Black. Personally, I find solace in a the theory that intertwines all of these strands. That the sand dunes were once the tragic aftermath of an extraterrestrial crash, transforming this terrain into an alien burial ground. The departed extraterrestrials in their spectral form cast a haunting curse upon this desolate landscape. Listen, we're going to jump in, might as well do it with both feet. Furthermore, recent activities conducted by a clandestine division of the United States military known as Spectral, you know, the Special Paranormal Extraterrestrial Containment Tracking and Research Agency for Anomalous Lifeforms, you know, given how much they love acronyms, have sought to contain and control these otherworldly phenomena. It is plausible that they employ mind-altering techniques to ensure the silence of the local residents. Ah, but wait, I almost overlooked a crucial detail. It appears that an archaeologist named Dr. Mark Thatcher from Oklahoma State University embarked on an extensive study of these dunes during the 1990s. Is everybody's tinfoil hat on nice and tight? Good. Regrettably, precise reasons behind his research remains elusive. However, rumors abound that his endeavors were abruptly halted by none other than the U.S. military or individuals masquerading as its agents 
perhaps even figures cloaked in white attire, mimicking their infamous black-clad counterparts? What do you think of that, folks? Unfortunately, my searches have yielded no substantial evidence supporting the existence of a Dr. Mark Thatcher affiliated with the field of archaeology at Oklahoma State University. Nevertheless, a faint glimmer of hope emerges from a minuscule lead I discovered, suggesting the existence of someone by that name involved in archaeological sites neighboring this area during the same time frame. I have reached out to this slender thread of possibility in hopes of unearthing further information. Should any breakthroughs arise, rest assured, I shall duty full report it here. But until then, silence must prevail. Or they or they'll or they're gonna mind zap me. The sheer abundance of explanations surrounding a handful of accounts involving green flashes of light and inexplicable disappearance is utterly fascinating. It prompts profound contemplation regarding the true nature of Beaver Dunes Park. Listen, I like to make jokes, especially whenever our familiar companions, legend has it, it is said, or they say, grace upon us their presence. I remain unwilling to dismiss this enigma prematurely. Instead, it compels me to embark on a journey of in-depth research. If the Coronado tale indeed finds validation within his journals, particularly if it corroborates the notion of his men vanishing amidst a green light, this seemingly whimsical urban legend will undoubtedly assume a far more compelling and captivating guise. As I bring this journey through the interesting and sometimes crazy folklore of Oklahoma to a close, I hope you've had a blast. I hope you enjoyed exploring the Gilcrest Museum and learning about its history experiencing the magic of Tulsa Little Theater, and getting lost in the conspiracy and beauty of Beaver Dunes Park. If you're now itching for more tales from this enchanting country, don't forget to subscribe, share, and stay tuned. And remember, keep the spirit of storytelling alive. Because let's face it, life is just better with a little bit of magic and mystery. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. I would like to take this time to give a shout to the newest members of my Patreon. Margaret, Sasha, and Alexandra. Thank you so much for joining. Your support literally means the world to me. I say this time and time again, but you guys are the reason that I'm doing this. I just can't fathom people would want to join my Patreon. I can't fathom that people want to listen to this, but to have people join my Patreon and have such such kind, kind things to say. You guys are the cream of the crop. Thank you so, so much for being here. If you're interested in joining the Patreon, we have ad-free episodes and early releases and uh, coming, uh, yeah, some other stuff that's going to come soon within, within this year. I'm working on some other things for the Patreon. Um, yeah, so patreon.com slash haunted American history. Thank you guys so much. Later.
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.